attack on a VPD officer. If we're not safe out there doing our job, how safe is the general public? What police say about the rise of crime and chaos in downtown Vancouver. Not in this neighborhood. The big issue, too, is the precedent this is going to set for the people of Vancouver. Point Grey residents push back against high density in housing. And the pickleball protest. We were not consulted by city. Why enthusiasts took their grievances to Victoria City Hall. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. We're going to get to those stories in a moment, but first some breaking news. Some kind of aircraft has gone down in Alouette Lake at Golden Ears Provincial Park. It happened just before 4 o'clock. And our Jordan Armstrong joins us now with the latest on this developing situation. Jordan. And Chris, as you can imagine, witness reports of a light aircraft crashing into Alouette Lake triggered a major response by emergency crews and search and rescue volunteers this afternoon. The gathering spot for those first responders was on the west side of the lake near North Beach, if you're familiar with the area. We're hearing the light aircraft, possibly a glider, hit the water and sank. And two people, two survivors, made it to shore with the assistance of of some boaters. BC Ambulance confirms that two people have been taken to hospital and they seem to be in stable condition. Reports from the scene tonight suggest they were alert and walking. Ridge Meadows Search and Rescue says their members have since stood down. So it sounds like this could have been a lot worse, Chris, and fortunately the injuries appear minor. It does not seem that anyone is missing at this point. No word on what caused the light aircraft to go down, nor where it was heading. Chris, back to you. All right, sounds good so far. Thanks very much for that, Jordan. Now to a startling incident on Vancouver's downtown east side. A suspect apparently tried to disarm a police officer, and the whole thing was caught on camera. Ramina Dea has the video and the police response, and Ramina, the video is quite dramatic. Absolutely frightening, Chris, and this is happening at a time in Vancouver when we're seeing four innocent people a day being attacked by random strangers, people they've never met before. And this time it was a police officer who was targeted. Now we're gonna show you the video here. This happened just before nine o'clock in the morning in the 400 block of Main Street. The officers had just finished with a sudden death call. You can see the first officer putting away a privacy tent. The second officer was throwing away a latex glove and that's when the suspect attacked him from behind and allegedly tried to grab his gun. The officer resisted. He somehow managed to hold on to his weapon. The suspect bolted. The officer gave chase. The VPD telling us that there was a struggle and that the suspect was not complying. He was ultimately arrested. The suspect in custody tonight. Charges of assault and attempting to disarm an officer are being recommended. It's shocking video. It's dramatic video. Uh, and it's, it's very concerning um, for me as a police officer uh, to see that happen because it shows um, that, I mean, if it's a police officer who's in the line of duty wearing a full uniform um, and that happens uh, in such a public space, it really makes us question if the public, if we're not safe out there doing our job, how safe is the general public? 
Now, this is just the latest in a string of alarming incidents. We saw that senior, Chris, you remember being pushed down the stairs at the SkyTrain, an 18-year-old student who was sucker punched for no reason, and that tourist who was stabbed in a coffee shop. Police telling us that mental health and drug addiction driving a lot of these violent incidents. We're being told by City Council that there will be a significant public safety meeting later this month. Back to you. All right. Thank you very much for the update in downtown Vancouver. That's from Inadea. RCMP are seeking witnesses to a suspicious incident that happened in North Vancouver's Keith Lynn neighborhood yesterday afternoon. Police say three nine-year-olds were playing in Michael Park when they were approached by a man who invited them to get into his pickup to have some juice. The kids ran away and told their parents. The suspect is described as 40 to 50 years old, driving a newer model green pickup truck with a canopy. He was wearing mirrored sunglasses and possibly spoke with an accent. Anyone who witnessed the incident or has dash cam video of the area from that time is asked to contact Vancouver RCMP. We also want to ask the person if they see this, if they know, oh, that was me, uh, get in touch with us because we'd like to understand what you were doing or or what the exchange involved between you and, and these children. That should be North Vancouver RCMP, of course. They say there does not appear to be any connection between this incident and any other recent incidents. And Nanaimo RCMP have released an image of a vehicle that might be connected to a frightening home invasion on Monday. A home security camera captured this picture of a dark purple or brown 2000 model Acura sedan. Police say a man dressed in camouflage clothing burst into a North Nanaimo home and then blasted two teenage girls with bear spray before making off with a number of items from the home. If you have any information on this case, you're asked to contact Nanaimo RCMP. And a tragic update to a story we brought you yesterday. Penticton RCMP confirmed the man crushed in a recycling truck compactor on Tuesday. Has it was just after 6 a.m. on Tuesday that the driver of the recycling truck heard yelling coming from the back of his vehicle. Police determined the 52-year-old man must have been sleeping in a recycling bin when its contents were collected and dumped into the truck and then mechanically compacted in the load. Emergency crews were able to get the man out and take him to hospital, but he later died of his injuries. The RCMP and the BC Coroner Service are investigating, but no criminality is suspected in that case. The province is moving to change the way local politicians charged with indictable criminal offenses are dealt with. The legislation, if passed, would see those charged removed from office on paid leave until charges are dealt with. As Catherine Urquhart reports, this comes after growing calls from voters for changes. The provincial government has announced legislative amendments, ones that deal specifically with politicians who are charged or convicted of criminal offences. We recognize the need to maintain public confidence when local official is charged uh, and sentenced uh, with a criminal offence, an indictable offence. If passed, the legislation would require an elected official be placed on mandatory paid leave when charged with a criminal indictable offence until the process concludes or charges are resolved. Those convicted would be disqualified from holding office. And it undermines the integrity of our local government system. And I think people need their faith restored in our local government. 
And I think the, these measures will go some way to doing that. In 2019, Port Moody Mayor Rob Vagramoff was charged with sexual assault. He took a leave amid intense public scrutiny. The charge was later stayed. In 2008, Port Coquitlam Mayor Scott Young refused to resign while facing charges related to an incident at the home of his former girlfriend. Later, he pleaded guilty to two charges of assault. The Union of BC Municipalities has been asking the government for these very specific tools and rules that their elected people will have to follow. That is that a vote does not return back to council. There is an immediate suspension of somebody who's been charged with an indictable offence. The legislation would not be retroactive, nor would it apply to non-indictable offences such as public mischief. So, even though the mayor of BC's second largest city is charged and his lawyer is planning for a five-day trial, the legislative changes would have no impact on the political future of Doug McCallum. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Today's COVID numbers are a little different than what we're used to as the province shifts to weekly data reporting. We'll bring in Keith Baldry now for more on that. Uh, and Keith, let's start with what's new today. Yeah, so in terms of the current picture, we're going to be reporting that today, but we are moving to weekly. More on that in a moment. But here's the current situation of COVID-19. Currently in hospital, uh, 324 people. That's down five from yesterday. ICU, similar numbers from yesterday, 38. That's up one from yesterday. Again, we're not going to get reporting these numbers on a daily basis. Chris, Yuvu and Sophie and others have been reading out these numbers for, for two years now, almost every night. And that's changing as we go to a seven-day seven-day look at numbers because it's more reflective and more, uh, I think, uh, accurate in terms of painting a picture of just what COVID is out there and how it's moving through the province. Let's take a look at that, the new system of sharing statistics mm -hmm. and how it's different. Yeah, so every Thursday from now on, uh, and today's Thursday, of course, we're going to get a week's worth of cases and hospitals and also deaths. So here's the latest from uh, the Center for Disease Control. This covers the period from March 27th to April 2nd, 1,706 cases. That's actually up from the previous week. But what's encouraging, the hospital admissions, and these are people who go to hospital because they're feeling sick with COVID-19. That's actually down 27 from the week before, and the number of deaths is down as well. So as had been predicted. The case numbers are going up uh, from week to week as the positivity rate seems to increase with the BA2 variant, but the hospitalizations and ICUs and deaths are going down. Those are severe forms of illness. And hospital admissions is a new category, Chris. Before it's hospitalizations, which about 40 to 50 percent of the people in that count are people who go to hospital for to get operations that are already scheduled. And while they're there, they test positive for COVID-19. They're lumped into the larger group of hospitalizations. Hospital admissions are different. It's people who go to hospital because they feel sick enough to be admitted to hospital. And it'll be interesting to track that number from week to week again every Thursday. Sure will. Okay, look forward to that. Thanks very much, Keith. We are getting our first look tonight at what a proposed development on the west side of Vancouver might look like. And it is generating some opposition. Paul Johnson has the latest on a major residential and commercial development that would transform a big portion of the high-end Point Grey neighborhood. One look at Vancouver's Jericho lands and it's clear this is a development site of massive potential. But take a look at these renderings of some of the early concepts for the site and you can understand why some neighbors question, is this a vision they want? 
And this is basically, you could call it a battle for the heart and soul of Vancouver. Point Grey resident Murray Hendren says his understanding of the city and the developer's vision is of a complex of towers, some of them more than 30 stories tall, amounting to a colossal change to the look and feel of the neighborhood and a massive increase in density. Whenever you have uh, 30,000 people moving in as neighbors, uh, you're bound to be concerned. Just to be clear, these images are not from the city or the developer, but were commissioned by concerned neighbors like Hendren based on the information that's been made available about the project. There's just kind of like a shock and awe happened when we saw these drawings. Veteran media strategist Bill Thielman is also a neighbor and now a spokesperson for the Jericho Coalition, who are opposed to any concept that includes multiple high-rise towers. They'd like to see something more like the neighborhood further west known as the Arbutus Walk. Its redevelopment brought more density, but with buildings of much lower height than what they fear could happen in Jericho. This is something that will dominate the entire Vancouver city landscape and cityscape uh, in a way which we've never seen before. Both the city of Vancouver and one of the owners, the Canada Lands Company, told Global News the vision is not final yet and more consultation is expected with the neighborhood. With his background in politics, Thielman expects this to be one of the biggest issues in this year's city election. Vancouver is in a battle for its soul, and the developers are winning right now, not citizens. In Point Grey, Paul Johnson, Global News. Controversy in the school cafeteria. Why new food guidelines might kill your appetite. That's next on the News Hour. Victoria pickleballers stage a protest why they're pressuring the city for more places to play coming up on the News Hour. And in sports, Tiger returns. How he's surprising a lot of people with his comeback at Augusta. Those stories in a moment, but first, the provincial government is proposing some new food guidelines for schools that could see some of kids' favorite items disappear. While the goal is to promote healthier eating, as John Waugh reports, not all parents are embracing the suggested changes. Nothing quite says school lunch staple like the good old bologna sandwich. It's also probably why so many students get so excited by just three words. Hot lunch day. They come screaming by, that was the best hot lunch ever, almost every time. And it's really fun for everyone. But the future of the hot lunch, cafeteria menus and other at-school snack offerings is now under review. The BC's Health and Education Ministries looking for parent feedback on its latest school food guidelines. We're going to be working with them to make sure that we have a food guide that meets all of our health goals and the health of our children. But in the guides, foods to avoid in your snack category are favorites like chips and even chocolate-covered granola bars. For the main meal, deli meat sandwiches and hot dogs are a no-go. Say goodbye to beverages like fruit juice and sports drinks. And the days of desserts might be done with advice to avoid treats like cookies, donuts, and freezies. We want them to have moderation. We want them to have fun. And we don't need the government policing what our kids are eating when it comes to their little treats and fun. Those little treats also a huge boost for school fundraising initiatives, which might take a hit with popular favorites no longer on the menu. We either can be an adequately funded education system 
or we can continue to rely on families and parents to fundraise for their school communities. The Ministry of Health says the new guidelines will not be mandatory, but parents worry districts will just blindly adopt them leaving students even feeling bad about their bag lunches from home. And now our government is telling us that what we're feeding our kids just isn't good enough. We don't need that added pressure. Parents are being encouraged to fill out the survey by April 30th. Not that there's anything wrong with a steady run of baloney. Many parents and students just love their hot lunch breaks. John Hua, Global News. Up next, big money for BC Housing. You know, the money doesn't turn into a lot of housing very, very quickly. Why some aren't too impressed by the Fed's big budget investment. And a gut-wrenching setback for residents who had to abandon their coastal dream homes. Crews are still on scene to a semi-truck that lost a wheel or two westbound on Highway 1 just before the east end of the Portman Bridge. Sussex Insurance are currently hiring insurance professionals throughout BC who share the Sussex passion for providing exceptional industry-leading customer service. Apply or learn more at sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Portman Bridge. This May, join me for the BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer. Sign up on your own or as a team. And let's move every day this May and help change cancer outcomes. Register today at workouttoconquercancer.ca. As everyone knows, BC is facing sky-high housing prices and a very hot real estate market, making housing affordability top of mind for many in the province. The federal government tabled its budget this afternoon, including some new measures and new money to tackle the shortage of affordable housing. Richard Zussman has more. It is a big problem getting big money. There's a lot of work we have to do now. And that is definitely something that is in this budget. That's where the housing part of the budget is very much focused. A whopping $10.14 billion in the federal budget over the next five years for housing. The government planning to spend enough to double the pace of building homes. Housing experts here, skeptical of the impact. The money doesn't turn into a lot of housing very, very quickly. So my, my take on this is that, yeah, it's good, um, but it's, it's, that doesn't even, doesn't even come close to being a game, game changer. It's more sort of, you know, a half a cup in a lake. The government also addressing the buying side, banning foreign buyers from purchasing residential property, creating a tax-free savings account for first-time home purchases up to $40,000, and doubling the first-time home buyer's tax credit, things that could actually further increase housing prices. But the challenge that we face in British Columbia is um, there, with a limited uh, supply of housing and an outsized number of bidders, uh, that, that that has the impact of just bidding up the prices for the existing housing stock we have. There are other things Ottawa could do, including building specifically on First Nations or targeting getting money to those who need it the most. Asking the feds to, at a minimum, match the amount of money that the province is putting in. You'd have to do something about people using home equity lines of credit and second mortgages to finance investment and to flow money to people for their down payments. And that's a very, very tricky business to get right. The budget comes at a time when it has never been more expensive to buy a home in this province, nor has it been more expensive to rent. The B.C. Liberals say it's Victoria's fault, not Ottawa's, for not building fast enough. Unless you dramatically increase the supply in the marketplace, there is no way you're going to have lower housing prices. We had 100,000 people come to British Columbia last year. Meaning the real impact of Thursday's budget, 
may not be felt for years. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Today, a major legal blow for homeowners in Seashell who've been fighting for compensation ever since their neighbor neighborhood was devastated by erosion and sinkholes. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the highest court in the country has declined to hear their case. It's been more than three years since these homes on the Sunshine Coast have been abandoned. And with a handful of keystrokes, the Supreme Court of Canada denied the homeowners any chance at winning meaningful compensation. The property owners in the Sea-Watch development were evacuated from their homes after a series of sinkholes opened up. The group of owners sued the district, the provincial government, and the developer. But the courts have consistently ruled against an appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada was dismissed outright Thursday. No one from the homeowners group could do an interview, but in an email, Chris Moradian says, when buying a home and getting a mortgage, who would ever think that through no fault of your own, you'd lose everything and then on top of it still owe a mortgage which you cannot pay back because of the municipality's gross negligence and actions that rendered your home worthless. At issue is the liability for allowing the homes to be built and sold on what the homeowners contend was unstable land. The district has counted the homes were sold with covenants, absolving it of responsibility. The courts have agreed. Part of an email sent by the district says the lower courts found in favor of the district and decided that a release attached to the legal titles of all Sea-Watch properties operated to release the district from all claims made against it by Sea-Watch owners. The courts did side with the homeowners on a separate legal challenge. The evacuation order, which has stretched out for three years, was declared illegal early in 2022. Now a group of owners has launched another civil action looking for compensation for the three years they've been out of their homes. This three-year ordeal has taken a toll. Despite another setback from the courts, the people who used to live here say they have no intention of walking away. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Up next, a potential new threat in Ukraine. More residents try to flee before the war takes what they fear could be a darker turn. And Green Shirt Day, honoring the life of a selfless hockey player who saved so many others. Good evening. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge with just a bit of leftover volume eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve through Richmond. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Russia continues to be punished for its actions in Ukraine. Dozens of countries today, including Canada, are standing up against the aggressive behavior, while others work to ensure the Ukrainian military remains propped up with the defense material it needs to protect its territory. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. The ebb and flow of war paints two very different pictures in Ukraine. A month ago, this Kyiv train station was teeming with evacuees, but with Russian troops nowhere to be seen, it's a return to normality, even if temporary. I missed Kyiv, my home. This is home, so I will feel calmer here, says this resident. The capital, however, is far different from cities much further out. Shelling has intensified in the recent days, this father says. His family is fleeing a suburb of hard-hit Kharkiv. 
And while Russia's onslaught has paused in some places, it's predicted to grow more intense. We have information that chemical weapons will be used on the front lines. That's Ukraine's assumption, one NATO is taking notice of. We expect a big uh, battle uh, in Donbass, a big Russian offensive. That prolongs a battle that's been raging for eight years. Either you help us now, and I'm speaking about days, not weeks, or your help will come too late. At NATO's latest gathering to determine how best to help Ukraine, the bloc made more promises that could only further Russia's ire. The world has become a more dangerous place, and that is why we need to make sure that our partners are well supported by NATO. As the West stands up to Russia, the United Nations is isolating it, suspending the country from its Human Rights Council over a war that's left thousands of civilians dead. Pressing no means pulling a trigger and means a red dot on the screen. Red as the blood of the innocent lives lost. 24 countries voted no. For Ukraine, getting and dispersing new weapons is an urgent matter. Russia's withdrawal has bought some time, fleeting as it might be. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Maybe a little local humor will help the humanitarian effort in Ukraine. Eight Canadian stand-up comedians are coming together for two benefit concerts this Saturday night at the York Theatre in Vancouver. Everyone on stage and behind the scenes will volunteer their time and resources for the cause. One of the co-organizers of the event is a third-generation Canadian of Ukrainian descent who says he simply had to do something given the horrors he was watching unfold in Ukraine. I would say historically I might have been more of a fence-sitter when it comes to volunteer activities, but there was something about watching this um, that just so horrified me that I couldn't sleep. And um, I think human beings in general, we, we sort of risk ourselves and we sort of go down a spiral into social media. And uh, when the opportunity came to do something instead of just watching endless news and social media, I jumped at this chance. They've also set up a dance contest for anyone to perform some sort of Ukrainian dance move on social media to show their support for Ukraine. Everyone else is encouraged to attend one of the two comedy concerts this Saturday night or catch it online. Just go to onenightstand.org for more information. Break a leg. In Health Matters tonight, just a day after marking the four-year anniversary of the Humboldt Broncos bus crash, it's a day to honor the legacy of one of the players who lost his life but saved many others. It's Green Shirt Day, aimed at bringing awareness to the importance of organ donation. The parents of Logan Boulay started it in 2019. The Broncos defenseman was one of the players hurt in the collision back in 2018. He died in hospital the following day. Just five weeks before the crash, on his birthday, Logan signed up to be an organ donor. His parents are asking people to talk about organ donation and to register. Roughly 90% of Canadians say they support organ donation, but only a third have actually registered to donate. On average, 250 Canadians die every year waiting for an organ transplant. Just ahead, seniors make a racket over pickleball. The new rules, they say, spoil the fun. That story coming right at you pretty soon. But first, 
a new link to major Canadian cities flying out of YVR. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A ceremony at Vancouver International Airport today marking a new air service. One, two, three. The first Lynx Air flight arriving from Calgary, where the new carrier is based. It bills itself as Canada's new ultra-affordable airline. You pay extra for luggage, but some flights are as cheap as $39. We're very lucky in this country to have very strong uh, carriers and an airline industry that serves right across the country. But when Lynx announced that it wanted to offer yet another alternative, lower cost, to fly uh, across the country, we were keen to do our part to make sure that that choice was available for our community. We believe airfares have been too high in, too, in Canada for too long. And we're bringing ultra-affordable fares to enable people to fly who couldn't fly before or couldn't fly as much as they'd like to fly. Lynx lists 10 destinations across the country on the website right now including Kelowna, Calgary, Winnipeg, Toronto. You can fly all the way to Halifax as well. But why would you want to go anywhere when the weather is this beautiful? Let's see it live and in person with Christy Gordon right now in the weather forecast. Christy? Oh my gosh, it was feeling like summer had a short sleeve on at one point, Chris, today. We didn't break any records, but we are above seasonal by a good four to five degrees. I'm going to show you how hot, but first I want to show you some photos because we had so many of them. Yes, if you were able to see this, this is called a sun halo. It was all over the south coast. Basically, you have a thin veil of cirrus cloud. That's sort of that grayish whitish uh, that you see in the sky. And the sun's light actually refracts off of the ice crystal in that cloud cover and it creates this beautiful halo around the sun. Sometimes it's seen as white and sometimes you can see it in color and that's because of the refracting action which actually breaks sun's light into its various colors. You can see it in this one. So thank you to everyone who shared photos. All right, let's check out how warm it got today. So 20 degrees out through the Fraser Valley today, 16 at the airport. That's three degrees above seasonal, a Nanaimo 17 degrees. And look at the, some of these temperatures in through the interior. Kamloops 19, same for a use and Lillooet 20. The hotspot across Canada today was in Lytton at 22.7 degrees. That's a summer-like temperature around here, that's for sure. Tonight, though, a cold front. And yes, that means cold weather starting to push in. So overnight, heavy rain, windy conditions. Then we get in behind it. Tomorrow, you can expect just spotty conditions with a chance of showers, but a big drop in temperature. So we're expecting to be back below seasonal for this time of year. Many areas will see a drop uh, of a good six to seven degrees over the 24-hour period. So in Metro Vancouver, we'll see a high range from nine to 11 degrees across the area. Tomorrow's the kind of day you need to bring your rain jacket just in case. It's also going to be very windy tomorrow, so keep that in mind. As for your weekend, we are expecting some showers to linger into the morning hours on Saturday, but overall Saturday not looking too bad, and we have kept in a chance of showers for a forecast for Sunday. And take note of the temperatures with highs of only 10 and 9 degrees. So after our 16 at the airport today, uh, that is going to feel much cooler over the weekend. And look at our average, 14. So uh, well below seasonal for this time of year. All right, Chris, tonight's center windows weather window comes to us from Blue Mountain Park, which is in Coquitlam. Jeanette sending us that great shot of the 
cherry or plum blossoms, I'm not sure, but stunning shot. Thanks so much, Jeanette, for that. Looks beautiful, and it was great while it lasted. We'll get back into that spring coolness tomorrow, I guess. All right, a group of frustrated pickleballers in Victoria have been making a racket. I know they use paddles, but it works with the writing. Making a racket about the loss of their home court. But as Kylie Stanton explains, they may have finally been served some good fortune, courtesy of the city. Instead of chants, there are cheers. Their signs double as paddles, used to hit the message home. We just decided we would step out here and show council and the mayor what pickleball is all about. And we're just having some fun like we do on courts that we can play on. But according to these players, who come from James Bay and Fairfield South, their options are dwindling. We've basically been evicted from Todd Park without an alternative or options that are readily accessible in our district. Nice serve. On April 1st, the sport was banned here. In a letter to users, the city said pickleball lines will be removed to address noise concerns from nearby residents while we find new ways to support the rapid growth of pickleball in Victoria. Someone complained that we laughed too loud. We're having too much fun and it kept people awake at night. We were ready to adapt, to put up acoustic curtains, to have a different quieter ball, to have shorter hours. We were not consulted by city. And so, with elected officials sitting in council chambers just above, they're bouncing back, putting the ball in City Hall's court. The message we're trying to send is that this is a sport that is just growing phenomenally. The city says there are currently four parks available to accommodate the demand at Central, Oakland's and Barnard Park, as well as Franklin Green. And a future pickleball hub is in development here at Topaz Park, expected to be complete in two years' time. We're getting into our 80s, so will we, will we still be here when they're finished? But the mood shifts with a phone call from city staff, and suddenly it's game on. They asked to meet with uh, the regional association on Tuesday morning, and they spoke about immediate solutions to pickleball. Thank you for hearing us. Now we'll wait to see the reality of the proposed solution. Hallie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Cautious optimism, always a good thing. All right, let's bring in Squire now to look ahead to uh, all the other sports going on right now. Well, uh, quite a few things today and tonight. Canucks are playing tonight against Arizona. Of course, Vancouver won last night. Big win over Vegas to keep their slim playoff hopes relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Masters started today and Tiger Woods, pretty good for a guy who hasn't played in quite a while. And also baseball started today. Opening day for baseball. Blue Jays start their season tomorrow. But a Maple Ridge home run hitter put on quite a display for the Cardinals. We'll show you that. Can't wait to see it. Thanks very much, Squire. Also coming up, a local band in high demand and you don't even have to hear it to appreciate it. As long as we're still talking about playoffs, that's a good thing. Oh, yeah. We'll talk for maybe one or two more weeks before the tragic number sets in. Teams who want to make the playoffs have a magic number. Teams who are chasing have a tragic number. The uh, 
game tonight in Arizona will uh, feature Yaroslav Halak as the Canucks starting net miner. Thatcher Demko played well last night in that 5-win win over Vegas, but they want to give him the night off. And uh, that win kept the Canucks playoff dream relevant, but still difficult mathematically. Uh, Quinn Hughes is still sick, will not play tonight. But if the Canucks play like they did against the Golden Knights, they should win this one. Arizona is tied for last in the NHL in points with Montreal. And for Bruce Boudreaux, the goal here is to keep every game from here on out meaningful. We want every game to be relevant from here to the, the rest of the year, I think is a great growth for the organization. So, I mean, if we can do that and just keep winning, and uh, then it's, it's you never know. I've been in situations where things happen that are pretty crazy. So this could be one of those crazy moments, I hope. The Canucks do need help, though. Maybe the Leafs can help them tonight. They're taking on Dallas, which holds the final wild card spot. Is seven points up in Vancouver and does have two games in hand. Well, that helps. William Nylander with a goal right there to make it one nothing for Toronto. However, the guys in the day glow black and green uniforms tie it. Tyler Sagan, and it's one one in the second period. There he is, Tiger Woods at the Masters. And there were times it was vintage Tiger, like right here. That sets up a birdie. And how many times in his career at the Masters has Tiger done something great on the par 3 16th? Here's another one. This is a birdie putt. Dead eye. I think he did. Minus one today, tied for 10th. Good start. Corey Connors of Canada. Good start as well. Minus two. Tied for seventh. Best start of all, Sun J.M. He has the lead. This is for Eagle on 13. He's at five under. Cameron Smith is at four under. Dustin Johnson's at three under. Dustin Johnson almost gets hit here by John Rahm's wayward iron shot. Look how close this comes. Right in front of Johnson's bag. That's something you don't expect at the Masters. This is the shot of the day. Joaquin Neiman, who's also at minus three. He was playing with Tiger. This is on the ninth. Second shot, par four. Eagle has landed. Brilliant. Well, none of the BC boys on the PGA Tour made the Masters this year, but the way Adam Hadwin has been playing of late, He's been playing masterful golf, three top tens in his last three events. He has the look of a player that is destined very soon to hoist a trophy. Adam Hadwin. Adam Hadwin has played the Masters three times in his career. He didn't qualify this year, but the way he's playing right now, there's a good chance he'll be back at Augusta National in 2023. In his last three weeks, Hadwin has a ninth, a seventh, and a fourth place finish. That adds up to $1.1 million in prize money and proof that swing changes he made a year ago are literally starting to pay off. My coach and I made a change. Um, I remember going to him on the range at Bay Hill last year, Bay Hill of 21. Um, and I had shot 79 in the first round and I looked at him and I said, I've had enough. Um, I can't do this anymore. I'm driving myself crazy. So whatever it's going to take to to start hitting the ball better and more consistent, I am fully on board with doing it. 
Hadwin's coaches had all wanted him to bring in some swing changes to help with his consistency. But Hadwin figured, why change a good thing? He won his first and only tour event at the Valspar in 2017, followed it up with shooting that magical 59 in Palm Springs, and had played a couple of President's Cups as well. But the good times eventually faded, and Hadwin struggled in 2020 and 2021. There was, there was times there was I, I was questioning whether I was good enough to keep my card. It's taken a good year to get comfortable with the swing change, but the pain has finally turned to some impressive gain. It's been a process. Um, I knew it wasn't going to be a quick one because it's a pretty big change. But uh, I didn't also didn't think it was going to be that hard. And I think trying to battle through playing on tour while trying to maintain your status, keep your job for the next year, all of that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it weighed on me. And look at this from long range. But he powered through it, battled to save his full-time privileges at the end of last year, and is really playing the best golf of his career right now. And he has to. The quality of the young players coming in is pushing Hadwin to take his game to a new level. I know the things that I've been doing leading up to this stretch has been very good for me and, I, and I'm doing a lot of good things. And so I just need to continue to do those things and just go out and have some fun. Tyler O'Neill of Maple Ridge, Cardinals opening day against the Pirates. He had a big day, five RBI. Here are three of them right here. One swing of the bat. That is Gonzo. Big win for the Cards. Maple Ridge guys can hit home runs. Larry Walker, Tyler O'Neill, there you go. One of the greatest names in the game. Thanks very much, Squire. Appreciate it. When we come back, why you've never heard a band like Half Asian and Amy the Coda. Next. Jordan Armstrong standing by with details right now. What's coming up on Global News at 11? Jordan? Chris, we've just interviewed a couple of witnesses to that crash at Alouette Lake, the crash of a light aircraft this afternoon. Two people walked away from the wreckage. The witnesses were standing on a beach for a wedding when they watched the aircraft bounce off the water, apparently glide for another kilometer or so, and then crash into the water. Hear from those witnesses at 11. Plus, good news from Surrey. Maxine, the missing 80-pound tortoise we told you about on Monday has been found and is home with her elderly owners. Find out how the tortoise came back tonight on Global News at 11. Chris? The stories she can tell. All right. Thanks very much, Jordan. Look forward to that tonight. When the movie Coda won Best Picture at the Oscars this year, a lot of people became aware that means child of deaf adult. And a local band is benefiting from it, too. Half Asian and Amy the Coda might have the most literal band name in B.C. And as Jay Durant shows us, they're making a huge difference for members of their audience. They formed a new band. They just needed a good name. And Amy Braun and Ian Griffiths wanted to make sure they got it right. We got a book from the library called, I think, Naming Your Business. No, the book was called, Hi, My Name is Awesome. Instead, they decided to keep it personal. The name is Half Asian with Amy the Coda, a salute to their families and their experiences growing up. I'm a Coda, and a Coda stands for a child of a deaf adult. So my mother is deaf, my father is hearing. This is their inspiration for more inclusive shows. Amy dances and signs the lyrics. Their performances are giving people who are deaf or hard of hearing a reason to go see live music. 
Thank you, Amy and AM for no fantastic store. One deaf woman came up after a gig and explained how for the first time ever she actually had a song stuck in her head. Because she had full access to the lyrics. She had never had that before. She had gone to lots of music events. She loves music, but she had never known what the words were. They've worked on other music projects separately in the past. Just before the pandemic, the couple decided to make music together. Music with a positive message. Some of it motivated by racist experiences. Yeah, I've just been walking on the street. Someone has looked at me and said something racist to my face. And I'm like, whoa. I asked for directions in Sundry, Alberta, and they said China's that way. They're booked to play eight festivals in the coming months, hoping their audience will keep growing. I have a vision for a huge stage and, you know, a formation of deaf dancers. To bring more people into the fold, um, I think would be a really beautiful thing. Jay Durant, Global News. Sign them up for Coachella, I say. Be great to see them live. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, just email your ideas to Jay. His email is thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Wishing them all kinds of luck in their music careers. Uh, beautiful day today. Cool down coming, right, Christy? Yeah, so a big drop in temperature from 16 degrees at the airport today, 20 degrees away from the water, down to highs of about 11. Some areas may be even cooler than that. So hopefully you didn't pack away the parka because you'll definitely need it. And I don't know, did you notice my new plants? That's beautiful. Nice but backdrop. My old ones died. Oh, well, that's <laughs> overwatered probably, I'm guessing. All right, thanks very much, everybody, for watching. We'll see you back here tomorrow night. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.